to the Battle College podcast. This is episode number 16, recorded 2-17-2014. And I need to add, throw this in there, and this will be a little bit more uh, clear later on. This is a podcast about the IFGS LARP here in Colorado. <laughs> is that something we're telling people now? I think we should, because I, 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 we'll get to that a little bit later. But anyways. Um, is that something you didn't tell people in episodes 1 through 15? It isn't, actually. We never mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know why it never came up. I don't think we ever expected anyone to ever listen who didn't already know that. Sure. So we'll get to this. How many LARP podcasts can there be, though, if anyone searches for it? No. Yes, there are a lot. I thought you guys were snowflakes. No. No. We are... (laughs) We are Play-Doh, yep. pressed into a mold. Anyways, uh, tonight's topic is called The World According to Dia. And Will, who is our guest? That's strange, because with a title like that, you'd you'd think it would be Dia. Yeah. I, I have to say that's not the title that you told me, and I'm no, no. a bit disappointed. Hey, I don't, what I have on my script here, it says the topic <laughs> is XX. So wow. Mike, Mike made that up on the. Oh fly. no, I edited that based on what you said later on in the uh, in the syllabus in the, the the script. So the topic for tonight is is um, Dia's hour of hate. So that's oh. that's what the actual topic is. So. Okay. And our our special guest tonight is Dia Campbell of of um, well various kinds of fame. So welcome <laughs> Dia to the podcast. Thank you. We are excited to have you. I am excited to be here in moderation and with a certain degree of trepidation. (laughs) Do you mean that you are here in moderation or you are moderately excited to be here? I do also have Reddit open another window. Does that count? Yeah, so you're moderately. (laughs) That's that's fair enough. I'm going to close Reddit because I love you guys and I want you to be happy. Do you want to hear something tragic? I have no idea what Reddit is. Oh, my God. We've got to have a talk tomorrow, Will. (laughs) It's. I found oh. out. I found out what BuzzFeed was like maybe last week. So a good way to think about Reddit. Reddit is is the is the internet forum. So instead of having individual forums like a, an IFGS forum, an AmpGuard forum, and all these things, go to Reddit. There is a forum about it. There is, and you can do go we, and and read about we, do, that. Do we have a forum there? I. Uh, there is a LARP forum. I I am signed up to the LARP board. Yes. Oh, all right. And there's an AmpGuard um, one. I, when I post an interesting link to the IFGS Facebook or something, it has always come from there. Oh, all right. Reddit bills itself as the front page of the internet, and it's kind of true. If you read like the top 100 most popular Reddit posts, you can guarantee for the rest of the day that any funny meme anyone sends you, any YouTube video, anything, any cute link from the internet anyone sends you, you can feel it. really superior about it because it's old news. But, but if you spend the time to read the top 100, isn't the day pretty much over anyway? Uh, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's all in one place. It's consolidated. It's like reading FARC, you know, you can get through a hundred, you know, a yes. hundred categories in FARC and a hundred threads pretty quickly, right? You just scan them real yeah. quick. Like two hours. Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe. I have two hours. Anyway. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, we only have an hour to, well, we have an hour, like an hour and a half. The hour of hate could, could go a little long, depending on how much sure. hate you have. I, I have boundless hate. I am oh, without nice. limitation. There is no hate ceiling. <laughs> so, um. Okay. I'm. Before I demand get... that hate oh. ceiling be put into the popular vocabulary. Hate ceiling? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's like a glass ceiling, but... Exactly. First. It's the hate ceiling. Except you know it. Everyone can see it. <laughs> so before we actually start, I want to I give a little shout out to Morpheus. Um, Morpheus is a, a friend of, of our 
guest that we had last week, uh, William Jordan, and he makes pizza dough at Little Caesars. And I hear he listens to a lot of podcasts, and he might listen to this one. So Morpheus, if you're listening, man, right on. Keep throwing that dough, you know, rolling the flour, doing all the, the stuff you do. And yeah. And Morpheus, do... I love your work. <laughs> and and do us a favor and kill Mikey Hammer of God with a high cross. Yes, please do so. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what's been going on with us and IFGS lately? Anything? Uh, writing. Writing. We're, we're writing yeah. again. We have actually been writing. We have been writing Sable Pass 2, Revenge of the Death Blood Doom. Um, it is a game for ninth and 10th level characters. Lies. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> yeah, so right now it's called, tragically, Back to the Pass, and it's for first and second level characters. So Sable Pass is a is a novice game that's been run multiple times in Denver and uh, it just got rewritten for the IFGS sort of society, sanctioned game library and society, society game library. And we are running it this year and we wanted to do a follow-up so that new players can come and play in Sable Pass in May. And then the idea is that they would come and play in Sable Pass 2 in June, like early June. So they'd have two games right back to back, sort of get them hooked a little bit easier. So that's the idea. But we're actually doing really good. I, I did some work on it last night. I got... Uh, a decent amount done. I, I feel like I could write more even if I wanted to. I just wanted to check in with Will uh, hopefully tomorrow on a few things. But Will, how's it how's it going for you, the process? Good. It's fun. It's 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 nice to be in a project that we don't have to think a lot about. Dia, any any thoughts on what we should put in Sable Pass 2? I'm actually really disappointed I'm not going to be able to make it out to Sable Pass 1. It was like the first game I heard about this season and I was like, Jonathan, I want an NPC. When's the date? And he gave it to me and I'm out of town. I am on two business trips a month until July at least, oh, um, and I'm not going to get to do anything this season, and I'm really down about it. So if everyone wants to start scheduling around me, that'd be great. We need to well, you talk. know, if you could give us your calendar, that would help. <laughs> Will, and I need, Will and I need to talk about dates for Sable Pass 2 probably this week, so if you, you give a little heads up when you're gone in June, just let us know, and we'll try and try and make it around you. Were you bullshitting, or is it actually ninth and tenth level characters? Because you it know is, I don't have any of those. It is seriously first and second level characters. Okay. So, so your 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 grand adventurer could come along. <laughs> Sanctioning anything going on? Um. Yes, I am waiting for the what should be the final turnaround on Sable Pass from my sanctioning committee. Oh, is it back to us? Oh, it is back to us. Right. I, yes. I did my comments. You have gotten your comments. The other two have not gotten me their comments. Yep. Um, so once they get that back, I will pass it on to, oh yeah, when Mike said that we were running it, he meant we as in DB, not we as in Mike and I. John Weisner <laughs> will be running Sable Pass. Thank you very much, John Weisner. Yes, so, we will be running Sable um, Pass 2, Will and yes. I. Yes. Um, yeah. Sanctioning, oh, uh, yeah, and I'm getting, we're ramping up all, for all sorts of stuff. Ray just got another game turned in today. He did. Um, yep. Um, which Trial I, by Fire 2, Revenge of the no, Trial? not yet. It's, uh, oh. it's a different game. He has three games that he's he's getting in. He uh, My there was a bet on the IFGS forums between oh, Pac one, yes. Northwest <gasps> and us, and we lost. So Ray is writing Bowl a game. game for the Pacific Northwest, and he's writing Trial by Fire two. That will be in probably next week. And then this is a different game. It's a tournament type game. I didn't really look at his email very closely because I was going to do that tomorrow. I so, want to know more about this bet. Was what was the bet, and is the game themed appropriately? So it is not themed appropriately. The, oh. This has been a traditional bet between us and the Northwest about whether the Broncos or the Seahawks will do better. So um, okay. the only thing that I'm I'm sad about is I think that the treasure given out by the game should be in some way equivalent to the difference in scores. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, I would have liked to see the teams go out to uh, collect on a gambling debt or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's a lot to ask. That would have been pretty awesome, actually. Or One like, gambling encounter, Ray. Or go what do s- I have to do? Go and skin a pig. or. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this bronco that needs tame. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you have to break a horse. and. Yeah. Who hey. plays the horse? <laughs> I don't know. There's a cow in Sable Pass, so oh. I'm interested to see who's going to play the cow. Oh, now I'm glad I can't come. We had the part typecast for you. I mean, um, sorry. Yeah, no, bossy old cow right here. <laughs> um, no, but about the game, I think it's taking place August 9th is what they're looking at mm-hmm. as the date up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, that's just what it says on the forums. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, sort of not a really high fighting, high intensity game because most of the Pacific Northwest, I guess, don't roll that way. But uh, I think it'll be a fun game. Can, how how are we sanctioning a game that's running in a different chapter? What it, it it it's running in the Pacific Northwest. I think it's still running under DB. Oh well, all right. I think sanctioned is sanctioned. Will <laughs> that that is not true. <laughs> I just want it to be true. Um, but other than that, right. we have a DB sanctioning meeting coming up in the next couple weeks. We're pulling on times for that. So if you have anything for the sanctioning committee here in Denver Boulder, let us know. We'll bring it up at the meeting. Uh, we have a society sanctioning meeting on Wednesday. Uh, this podcast will oh, probably come out after that. So if you have anything for that meeting, I'm really sorry. Unless you have a DeLorean, you're sort of shit out of luck. I was going to say, aren't we supposed to handle this like the night, the late night talk shows? Like, yes, that was a great meeting. I really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot came out of it, and we'll tell you all about it on our next podcast. Oops. <laughs> um, what else? I guess it's really um, it for FRC. 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 Um, the FRC has a the Fantasy Rules Committee, for those of you who don't know, um, has a request into society um, to give us access to the voter rolls. Um, we want to start sending out, once we get going on ADO. We want to start sending out society-wide surveys about what people like in the rules, what the changes they want, what treasure they need, I don't know, whatever. And so we are asking for access to the full list of IFGS email addresses. Nice. Uh, production? Fuck all. What does that mean? <laughs> that means we're not doing anything for production right oh, now. Oh, that's, that's totally a lie. I am not doing anything for production right now. T- today Me I was either. doing. Today I was at Home Depot. Oh no, a Lowe's doing research on styrofoam for a prop for Sable Pass Two. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. I actually took pictures of it and the you know the price and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was at Home Depot buying a sink. Ooh. Non IFGS related. Okay. I didn't go to Home Depot and that went great for me. Nice. Yeah, I was not. <laughs> Thanks. Anyways. Well, I uh, bet you didn't get any styrofoam or a sink. That's true. I hit the grocery store and I bought nothing that was LARP related. That's, I don't, what? But there's going to be pot roast tomorrow, so well, there's that. That's tasty. Pot roast sounds right. great, except for it's meat. Oh, well, seriously. If you <laughs> so could if just, stop. If it were roasted chunks of bacon, you'd be fine with it? Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, upcoming games, Nexus 6 and Sable Pass. Nexus 6 is happening sometime in April, is that correct? Yeah, I don't know. No, March. March, March, right? No, I think it's March. Okay. I don't know. March or April. And Nexus 6 is actually Nexus 5. but Is it? Okay. Well, it's it's the same game copy as Nexus 5. It's just called Nexus 6. Okay, it's the sixth running of Nexus. It is the sixth <laughs> running of Nexus, yes. Okay. In the second second running of Nexus 5. 
He's just spoiling <laughs> that it's a rerun. Exactly. But we didn't get to do any of the content in Nexus 5, so that's why we're doing it again. Ah, uh, and by that's we, a really good reason. I know, right? And by we, of course, I mean, again, John Wisner, not us. <laughs> Thank you, John Wisner. Uh, and then lastly, LARPcast. Oh, I want to mention this for a second. So, uh, Will, you introduced me to a new podcast, which you actually don't do very often, uh, called LARPcast. And how did you find it? I think I typed in LARP podcast and Google said, hey, you should check this thing out. So have you been listening? So you listened to about, uh, I don't know, not even a full episode last time. I, sh- I No, I've listened to, to like two, two halves of episodes. Okay. So I, I started listening to this, this podcast, and I would love to tell you the two guys that do it, but I don't. But they're, they're, they remind me a lot of Will and I. They're oh, dear people, God. They, they do. They remind me of, of you and I. They're a little elitist. They've been doing LARPing in various LARPs for many, many years, and they get on and just ramble for about an hour about some vague topic. They, I, I guess they just seem to take themselves so much more seriously. I don't know. I think if someone outside listened to this podcast, they would think we took it pretty seriously. Don't you? I wasn't going to say it, but probably. Shut up. I mean, mm, um, no. <laughs> well, yeah, that kind of ruined the show, really. But anything, anyways, they, there's some interesting topics on there, and, and uh, I'd like to maybe delve into some of those topics. They talk about one I was listening to tonight while I was putting my office back together was about. Um, persistent LARPs versus uh, like a short duration LARP. So there's these things that are starting to pop up more in the Northeast of these LARPs that are around just for a certain number of years. So it would be a LARP. It would be four events a year for five years, and that would be the LARP. The rule system, everything would be self-contained within that period. And I just just think there's some interesting thoughts that, you know, just things that just are so outside of our paradigm um, that might be interesting to talk about. That point. sounds wonderful, but beyond outside the paradigm, isn't it just a little bit outside our resources? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Some of, some of the ideas, they, they talk about stuff like choices, like giving players choices in games. and Anyways, mm-hmm. we don't need to get into the whole thing. But if you're interested, go check them out, LARPcast. Uh, they're on iTunes, I'm sure, somewhere. They're, I'm sure I have a web page as well, and I would tell you what that is, but I really have no idea. Should we get to the main topic? Let's go on to the main topic. Dia's Hour of Oh, it's not just mine. You guys can be here too. Well, thanks. I don't have hate. I don't have hate in my heart. It's all. I would just shout into the microphone for an hour if need be. I'm not above it. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) So, so where did Dia come from? That's not your real name, right? It's not. No, my birth name is Casey, and when we were children, my sister started calling me Quesadilla, uh, like Ah. the Mexican food. And uh, when she realized that extra syllables do not a good nickname make, uh, she shortened it to Dia. And uh, I took it on on a more permanent basis when I uh, started working at a job where there were already like four or five cases. Got it. it was actually a recommendation of my boss at the time when he gave me the job. He was like, just so you know, we have a lot of cases. <laughs> do you have a nickname? Wow. And so Dia it is. I was so confused over the whole Casey Dia thing for the longest time. Sure. Like when I first met you, I'm like, wait a minute. I thought her name was Dia, but I think it's Casey posting on the on Facebook. Who is yes. who? Yeah. So, okay. It's because he's not very bright. No, it's frustrating for everyone. Our poor HR department. I think it's the worst for them. Right. Because the expense forms don't match the paychecks, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a mess. Nobody's fault but mine and those other four Casey's who really had it coming. <laughs> so yeah, I heard 
Oh, I heard someone. I heard a comedian do a full set today about uh, Noriyuki uh, Miyagi. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> the, the guy who who plays Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid. His okay. first name is Noriyuki, which he goes by Pat. Sure. Yeah. That's uh. You know, Casey Dia Noriyuki Pat. Sure. No, that's that makes sense because Noriyuki Pat is also a Mexican food. Yeah, exactly. It totally is. <laughs> Ask anyone. Especially with pulled pork. Yeah. All right. How did you get into LARPing? Not just IFGS, but LARPing in general. When did you start doing this? Have you been doing it all your life? Uh, No. I started LARPing when I was 18. Uh, That was in Atlanta, Georgia at a LARP called Legends. I uh, ran into them at DragonCon, which I've been going to every year for a very, very long time. Um, So long that I would do it myself, so we're going to drop that now. I, I met them there, and the guy I was dating at the time, uh, it turned out he was an ex-player. So I had a really good entree into that kind of social circle in the game, and where otherwise I think I would have been a little bit um, shy or worried to kind of approach the group myself. I kind of had somebody that knew people that could introduce me and bring me to a game just to observe and walk around, and uh, that made the process a lot easier. And I think without that, I, I probably wouldn't have shown up. I, um, I I never stop thinking about how intimidating this is for a novice. If you don't know anybody, sure. if you don't know the rules of the game, if you don't know where the next event is or how you get on a group, that's particularly difficult about IFGS. The fact that you have to be selected for somebody's group, that you have to join a group of people who know each other and don't know you. I think that's... Um, to me, the the single most intimidating part of getting started with IFGS. Totally. So just to, to break in here for a second, so I, I was curious because I don't know a whole lot about Legends, and I really don't want to be mean to other LARPs. There's probably a, a, a fascinating <laughs> LARP, but I do have to admit, our website, IFGS, our website is pretty horrible. I think Legends is actually worse. It still has the counter from 19, the 1990s GeoCities up in the left-hand corner. So... Sure. Um, the thing that I would uh, mention in defense of the Legends website, which I used extensively at the time, is that all of their information is there and not scattered across three or four different information channels. So you can actually find out when they're going to have a game. The hour of and, hate has started. <laughs> and their forums are active. So you can actually talk to people about the game on their website um, and get responses from people, which I think is neat. Wow. It's great. And that also is located right on their website, not in a completely different location as ours was for a while. I think it's not now. Thank you so much, John. You are absolutely right. I'm on here and there's like current data, you know, all around. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I can't really diss their website other than that. I was just the, the look of it. So, but you're absolutely right. The, the website itself is, um, it's not beautiful. It's not modern, but whoever at Legends is responsible for keeping it updated does a fantastic job it is sort of the dragon force of 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 websites yeah it has um, a certain awesomeness to it <laughs> it does have a certain awesomeness to it i i do have to admit that so <laughs> so tell us a little about legends like before we start talking about ifgs what what was Legends? did, did like? you notice that the very first thing on the legends page is actually the larp newbie tutorial yeah we need that do we have that <laughs> i think uh i don't know can we steal that? that I, never, I never go to our. Why would I go to our website? And also, let me just. What? <laughs> which website are you guys on? Legendslarp.com. I just did legend legends larp, and it came up as the first link. Am I on the wrong uh, one? 
probably because the legends that I played was uh, legends with a Y. Oh, oh. dude, you lose. <laughs> yeah. And and if you go to the IFGS Denver Boulder page, the very first article that meets everyone is the Battle College uh, episode fifteen podcast, which is about a mo- which is about a very arcane rules change to version eight zero. So as novices would have no idea what it was and have no interest in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's totally my fault. I put like half the content on the website these days. I mean. John, John puts quite a bit on there as well, but I think it's like John and I like split about the, the, the amount of data that actually goes up on the website these days. So. Well, we do have getting started as the second tab, but um, yeah, no, I, I think Dia's got some points here. Yeah, I um, so I just Googled legends with a Y, and it looks like they've got a new website. Possibly there was a schism because it's like seconddawn.legends.com. But yeah, I'm seeing that. Their website's prettier than ours, I think. I think it is too. Where's the Y? It, it, Legends. It's not oh. legends. It's it's legends. <laughs> legends. <laughs> that clarified adequately, didn't it, William? It so did. hey hey Mike, go take go take your Ridlin and, and come back. Although admittedly, once you get down a little ways it's it sort of falls apart a little bit. Sure, and it, no. It, the color scheme is nice. I like the gray, the black. It's sort of I don't I, I like it. I, I give him credit. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a nice header. I think it's well integrated. All the little They've got their rules on there for free. Yeah. The last rules? post was Monday, February 17th. Rules should be free. You should never charge people money to make the effort it requires to learn how to play the game they're going to pay to play. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, Dungeons & Dragons can charge me for a rule book because I'm not going to get charged any money to play the game. LARPs, on the other hand, are going to charge me to play the game, and that means they need to give me the rules for free. You can do one, or you can do the other. That is commandment number one. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really strongly about this. I Like, you can sell a book. Don't get me wrong. Some people are always going to want the physical copy of the book that they can carry around with them, but there should be a free PDF available. You'll probably sell as many books with a free PDF available as you were going to sell without it. I really don't think that we make any money that way okay. that we weren't already going to make. So that brings me into this question then. Do we charge too much in IFGS, too little? So to give an idea for people who might not be familiar with IFGS, we charge between 10 at the very bottom for like a four or five hour adventure to – I don't know, what would you say, 35 for a, a full eight-hour game? Yeah, to, I think 35 is the most I've ever seen. I've, to eight, I've spent 40 on a game okay. last season. To to 80 <laughs> for a weekend, for Price of Life a couple years ago, was a weekend uh, event. So that was an mm-hmm. 80 for an overnight game. That was not, that was $64. 64, oh, I keep thinking yes. it was 80. Okay, so do we charge too little? Do we charge too much? What, what are your thoughts, Dia? Um, it's tough because it's apples and oranges to every other game I've played. I've never played another game. This is including Legends. This is including um, near every other game I've played with um, had full weekend games where you camped over. Right. Um, and so obviously they charged a lot more money and you got a lot of value for that money. The level of immersion that you get at an overnight game where even when you're sleeping, you have to worry about whether or not you're safe and how defensible your position is, is tremendous. You can't approach that in an eight-hour game with a lunch break. It, it's not the same thing. No, I can't um, imagine it is. 
that said, I do think that Legends undercharges, but um, I also, let, sorry, <laughs> IFGS undercharges. Um, Legends did fine. Uh, the, and, and you can't charge more than the players are willing to pay. And, um, all right, we called it Dia's Hour of Hate, right? We understand that when this is over, everyone at IFGS is going to hate me, right? Yeah, like, that's totally clear fine. on that? Yes, but you're going to be cool. out of town, so. Um, so IFGS players are scandalously cheap. Uh, I, I am astonished by the unwillingness I see to pay $10 or $20 or something for a game. And I know that that's a little hypocritical since I just said that people shouldn't have to pay for rules. But um, they're, they're paying the money and they're also paying their effort to learn a very complex rule system. And I think that that's too much to ask. I think that you should be able to just jump into the rules. And to me, that's how you get yourself excited about the game is by getting into the rules and seeing like, oh, this is how a character is built and that gets you invested in the character you want to build. And this is what the world is about. That gets you invested in becoming a part of that world. I think that the rules, at least for me, are the first step to wanting to play a game. I read the rules first, I play the game second. At IFGS, you have to play the game first and read the rules second. And maybe that works better for more people. Um, but I'm, I'm veering back into the rule book. Um, I, I think that the games should cost more. I think that if they did, higher production quality could be um, delivered with greater frequency because people wouldn't be putting so much of their own money on the line. Um, I think that just about every um, committee we've got could benefit from more budget. Uh, I know that people want a lot from PR and uh, some of that stuff's hard to pay for. Uh, that the chapter should have more resources than it does. When I when I remember how much trouble it was to try and find storage space at the last minute and paying for that, it shouldn't have been such a trial. And I think I think that maybe people don't understand quite how much value IFGS is delivering for that money. I mean, if you break it down to cost per hour retained and say, I don't want to pay $20 for an eight-hour game, like... That's movies. crazy. That's yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I get that a lot of it is that we have younger players, and not every LARP is is good at attracting younger players because people don't want to let their kids be gone for a weekend with a bunch of adults. That's scary. They could get hurt out in the woods or something. Um, but my parents would gladly have parted with a pretty significant amount of money to get rid of me for eight hours, <laughs> and. I, I can only think that the price of getting rid of children for eight hours has gone up since my childhood. I yeah. think that that's how inflation works. Strangely, my parents never felt about it that way. When I was, you know, 15 and started playing this game, they were not interested in having me go to IFGS even a little bit. <laughs> but, but all I mean is, like, as even as a babysitting thing, right? They they would much prefer much preferred me to be home and doing homework or something than going out and having fun. So I, I think there may be a thing there. No, I was kind of an under socialized child. And so anything <laughs> that was going to get me out and, and with, with other people, people sure. uh, was very valuable to my parents. Um, and, and the money, money was definitely thrown at the problem. Right. 
It's it's interesting because LARPcast, <laughs> they were talking about the price of games and whether people undercharge these days or not. So that, that's why I sort of want to ask you your opinion. And I think mm-hmm. it comes from me. You know, I started out the quest in Hawaii, which was basically free because we were just so much kids running around, a wo- you know, some woods beating, you know, beating each other up with uh, bamboo swords and then going to AmpGuard, which is notoriously cheap. Five dollars um, every six months. Exactly. And then, you know, your events, your weekend long events are thirty dollars, you know, thirty five maybe if it's yeah. an expensive one. So it was just a real shock for me to come to IFGS to see, you know, forty dollars well, for an eight hour game. Even then we went to you know, we had GS in the middle that was I mean, I think the most expensive game we had was ten dollars. And we were all mostly poor college students while we were doing it. It's not like we could we could afford when we ran, you know, that one season we ran 23 games. We couldn't afford $40, 23, 23 weekends in a row. So sure. I wonder if we're part of the problem, Will. <laughs> uh... I think you guys are part of every problem. <laughs> yes. I don't think we have a problem okay, you guys aren't contributing to. We're coming back to that one. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so then, so we, we know how you got into LARPing now. So how did you actually get into IFGS itself? Um, Larry Niven. Fair enough. Um, I am a huge fan of the Dream Park books. They are pulp sci-fi at its very, very best. Um, and the last time I reread them, I noticed that in, um, I want to say it was California Voodoo Game, yeah, was, there was, was an afterword uh, that meant that IFGS was a real thing in Colorado and uh, that uh, author I think not Niven I, I feel bad that I can't name the guy that co-wrote those books with him Barnes, uh, Barnes Stephen Barnes uh, went out to a game and they described whitewater rafting down a river while NPCs shot arrows at them and uh I, I could not believe that IFGS was a real LARP and that it happened to be in the state that I had moved to. So I uh, looked you guys up from there, and I'm not going to pretend I'm not disappointed by the absence of whitewater rafting or live fire. Or holograms. But, <laughs> or holograms. Or slimline goggles. or. Those are from the book. I'm talking about the actual real-life experience described <laughs> by Stephen Barnes in his afterword. I understand. None of your sass, William Haddon. Trust me, I was a little disappointed by the lack of holograms. So. Oh, my God. And sex. There was a lot of sex in the books. It's true. I, well, I don't, but if there's a lot missed, of sex in IFGS games, I'm not having it. You, you missed the 80s. Seriously. The 80s. It happened in AmpGuard, too. AmpGuard had this period of time before we joined it where... It was the wife swapping period, and I don't know if, if I've just if it was the wife swapping period, but there was definitely it seemed like more sex before we joined IFGS. Is it possible that that's myth that that when there are much younger people than us, we will talk about how sexy IFGS was before they got there, just no. so we feel better about ourselves? Oh, maybe I guess that's possible. Yeah, I w- I would lie about that in a New York minute. Cool. Hmm. We'll have but to start children of the future who listen to this. I'm not lying to you. It was wild. Yes. So what parts of LARPing sort of most appeal to you then? What, 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 why do you LARP? Um, I LARP for, uh, for world immersion. Like, no question. I was a huge fantasy reader. I watch fantasy movies and television shows. I see those worlds, and I want to interact with them. I want to be a part of them. I want to be a part of creating them. Um, And that means uh, that I get a lot more involved in the role-playing and the um, 
I, I strongly prefer NPCing to PCing because it's it's more world creation, more immersion, and less just showing up and experiencing. Uh, costumes are very important to me. Uh, as a result, it's that's how I got into cosplay too. I I can't look at um, at something beautiful and fantastical and whimsical and just admire it for what it is. I can't seem to help wanting to be a part of it. Uh, and, and LARPing is extremely unique in giving you that opportunity. That's the best answer we've had. <laughs> that is a pretty fabulous answer. I like basically to... for any question we've ever asked, actually. I just, I, I, I wonder how many people watch Game of Thrones and their thought is like, man, I wish I could live there. And it doesn't occur to them to LARP. You know, I'm watching Downton Abbey right now, and I want servants, and I want to have to put on a gown for dinner, and it is that impulse in me that that makes me uniquely suited to LARP. Anyone who I think engages in media or um, or fiction or books and movies, and their reaction is, I should be there. I want to do that. Um, those are people who should consider LARPing. Those are people who should be LARPing. It's nothing else lets you experience being part of a world that way. It just doesn't. I so want to do an overnight Downton Abbey LARP now. Right. Make it happen. That would be so much fun. Oh, my God. We watched two episodes of Downton Abbey and hired a maid. We just had to. We're so excited. <laughs> we just we just assume that they're gossiping about our marital prospects. Okay, so this is actually so this takes me to uh, another question we had, and that is, do you believe that IFGS as a whole, or at very least, sort of Denver Boulder, should have a static world? And by static, I mean that we should have a common world that has some very specific, you know, gods and traditions and countries, and that we should even have people who are in charge of sort of keeping continuity and all that, sort of like the Nero committees. Is that is that the vision you would have, or? Should is so tricky. Um, is it. that what I want? Is that what I would prefer? Uh, unquestionably. Okay. I, I love that. I love that continuity. Uh, I, I love knowing who's going to be there, who's part of that world. I love being able to develop a relationship with NPCs over time. Um, I, I like being able to build something, being able to build a business or an enterprise or a network of spies or whatever it is that you care about uh, creating and, and making that piece of the world very much your own. And that um, that can extend to so many things. At, at Legends, there was uh, there were several sites that were used, but it was usually one big Boy Scout camp, and people had cabins that were their cabins, and you had your system of defenses that you had put up. You knew who lived with you, and those relationships mattered, and, and it was a trusting relationship that your home was safe because you could trust the people that lived with you not to not to let in any uh, nefarious elements there was so much going on there because the world was persistent that you can't have in a less persistent game it, it's interesting uh, that said oh. you could only play in that world right, right. Uh, and so anybody that didn't like that world was sol you had to go somewhere else it's interesting that you bring this up because it sounds a lot like I, I brought this up at uh, the last IFGS uh, Denver Boulder uh, 
board meeting that I went to about traditions. And mm-hmm. I brought up this, this, this idea that, you know, a lot of, uh, Boy Scouts and, and camps, summer camps and churches, they have these traditions that you sort of build year to year so that people want to come back, uh, to the, the summer camp every year, for example. And I was saying yes. that how AmpGuard has those traditions in these fighting companies that you always go back, you camp in the same location, you camp with the same people. And, and you're describing a lot of the similar things that Nero might have or, or these other LARPs, you know, that these more open world course LARPs, you know, these traditions that you want to come back and do that weekend event because you know certain things are going to be there. You know that certain players are going to be there. Certain NPCs are going to be there. And and yes. that's something that, that IFGS just lacks. We don't have a whole lot of that anymore, at least. And say, I think that we don't have the resources for it. Well, I, th- I mean, I think we have the resources for a certain amount of it. Um, to go back to our experience with um, GS, which is a very IFGS-like game, Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it, it certainly had sort of guilds and companies and things that were entirely player based, right? There mm-hmm. was no, they didn't exist in the world until the players made them. They were, right. you know, sort of alliance. You, you walk into a game, you see another person from that guild or whatever, and you're like, great, I can trust them. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, it meant that there was, there were people recruiting at bar games. There were people, you know, all sorts of stuff, but, um, yeah, yes. I mean it's 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 not the same kind of it's not quite the level of building that I think you're talking about in that you know they're not No, but it is it's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about. But I mean we they can't professional... build a guild house. They can't. Uh, yeah. No, but they did. Okay. They they absolutely did. Once uh, <laughs> I I was a healer, so I am most familiar with the existence of the healers guild. Right. Um but you had to be you had to be vetted and all of this was handled by characters, not by NPCs. Uh, and and yes, they took over one of the cabins, and that became the the Healers Guild building. And it was it was brilliantly set up. You had to uh, resurrect at a uh, I think it was a resurrection glyph or rune or circle of some sort, and that was inside the Healers Guild, which fell by a um, a protection spell that couldn't be crossed by anyone who wasn't keyed to it. So if you were in an altercation with another player and you died, you would resurrect inside the Healers Guild. The authorities, who were also PCs, showed up and determined whether or not you could leave the Healers Guild <laughs> where you were trapped, um, but before they let you go and asked you how you died. And and crimes were committed and discovered and solved. Right. So, so or not solved, that, as the case may be. That brings me to another question is, what about PvP? IFGS doesn't have much. We're a fairly, I don't know, happy, friendly game. Sure. Should we have more PvP, in your opinion? Does that, does that increase immersion? Um, so, the PvP aspect did not appeal to me. But it added an element of danger to the game that wouldn't be there. And um, we've discussed this before. I think that IFGS uh, lacks its proper ration of danger. Uh, when when characters can die and come back and die and come back and die and die for good and be reduced to dust and then we write a special game and they come back. Um, there, there's no There's no value on life there. There's no value in that character if um if you can't lose it there's no value in anything you can't lose but, and when it's a pvp question um then you have to consider the fairness to two characters it's not just is it fair for this person to lose their character it's also is it fair for this person to lose the effort that they made to kill that person 
and their reputation because this person can say that they killed them and and so much more. It becomes it becomes a two player question and you can no longer just say that the right thing to do by the character is to let them live. So but you say that there's no um, uh, there's no danger, not a lot of danger, but you know, these people spend years, you know, to get to a 10th level character, you know, in IFGS is taken a lot of these people eight, nine, 10 years. And it, it seems like if we don't have ways to, to let them come back fairly easily, you know, that all that time could be lost just because of a, a bad game writer or a bad call but, of a GM. But there is certainly some of that, right? But the bad, bad game issue and the bad GM are both handled by protests, right? Because those are outside the realm of what was supposed to happen and what was allowed by sanctioning sure but to not have any element of danger and i'm i'm willing to say i do not think there is an element of danger um is basically to say you become a grandmaster chess player if you are in the if you're the person who has played chess the longest yeah if you're in the chess club for 10 years you are now a grandmaster if you have never won a game no one cares Right. I I would say that um, by by making it impossible to kill these characters, you you do your players a great disservice. And I think that people will agree right up until it's their character that's dead, and then it's different. And I get I get that. And I get that in the end, the player is the customer, and has if if the players don't come back, um, there is no game. And I I do understand that. However. If somebody has invested nine or ten years in a character, I think they deserve for that to mean more than just nine or ten years of effort. I don't think that everybody who has played for nine or ten years has made the same contribution, made the same decisions. And I would say that when you've got great characters that come and that fade out eventually when the person stops playing and no sooner you prevent any legendary characters from being created there are no great deaths to be discussed there are no truly heroic sacrifices taking place because every sacrifice is worth the same amount and that is to say nothing there's no value in a death if the death doesn't really occur, you can't give your life for a cause. You can't you can't die because you care that much about somebody else. You can't give your life for your king. You can't give your life for your lover for for anything. Right. You can't give your life for your god because your life was a coin that could not be spent. I, and I gave my life to no... save the world, and I was there in time for the after party. Exactly. <laughs> it, there's no. You rob people of, of the opportunity um, to to give everything there is to give. And I think that may actually show up in what I perceive as a lack of good and evil in IFGS. Yes, um, absolutely. The, the people who claim to be good don't feel particularly good, and the people who are evil don't feel particularly evil. And I think that's because there is no ability to sacrifice. Yes. And um, and there I think it also makes it extremely hard to truly define a character. Um, Characters who are cowards don't necessarily hang back from a fight because they don't have anything to lose. You don't find out who 
is truly brave and who cares most about what you don't you don't learn what people will and won't die for there there's there's so much loss there and and also you attribute motives to the player and not to the character too often and if i can use a very specific example um and probably a weird and unexpected one i am going to refer to um kyle rockwell's character uh adhd i think he calls him Addy. yep um so here's a character whom he specifically wrote to make monumentally bad decisions Right. He wrote this character to do incredibly stupid things because he's curious, because he's bored, because he's got no focus. And that aspect of the character gets lost. He makes suicidally bad decisions on a like three times per game basis. Just to be clear, uh, he will still not go downstairs in the Nexus. <laughs> and that 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 is role-playing decisions, right? But right. because because that character can't die, because there is no such thing as a suicidally bad decision, it is indistinguishable from the shitty decisions that everybody makes. And I think it's easy to write it off as Kyle being a goofy kid. Sure. And I don't think that that's what's going on all the time. Sometimes, Kyle, you're a goofy kid. Um, <laughs> but I think that he is also being a good role player. Totally. And it's impossible to tell because anyone can be reckless. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's in it's not indicative of commitment to that character. I believe that if you could die permanently in this game, if that was a genuine risk, that Kyle would still open every door, he would talk to every monster, he would flip every rock, and he would touch every trap. And that character would die, and he would die for good. And people would shake their heads for the next 10 years talking about that silly guy that got himself killed sticking his nose into a fire trap, right? Right. Um, it, it would be this crazy thing that had happened, this crazy character that everyone remembered, because he did something that everybody else wouldn't do. He was willing to give up his life. Yeah, I and so. I think, and Mike and I actually run into this in writing games, in that if we write an optional encounter, we assume that the easy way through it is to fight it. Yeah. Because there's no reason not to, right? If you If you say, you can either fight your way through this, you know, and, and possibly have something, you know, and possibly lose or try and spend 20 minutes doing something smart. We assume that most people are just going to go like, eh, fuck it, let's go fight. Um, and, uh, I, and that changes if there's risk. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that I should say is that while I don't think there's enough risk, um, that doesn't really seem to stop IFGS players from being remarkably risk averse. <laughs> Right. No they won't go downstairs in the uh, in the nexus. They don't they don't want to go through any of the door to nowhere options. That's, like if, if you don't tell them that it's going to be sunshine, bunnies and daffodils on the other side and confirm that you saw the teeth on those bunnies and they were definitely <laughs> herbivores, they're not going to open the door. They're going to miss nine tenths of the content in your game before they will risk having to get in a fight. Well, Will and I talk about this, and we talk about successful teams. And, the and thing they that, can't die. The thing, the thing that I believe that successful teams, 
they have decisiveness. They make decisions to do things, mm-hmm. to to take a risk. And the teams that do incredibly poorly, I mean, I can just think about this this team from Kingmaker from years ago. But the, you know, the, the teams that do incredibly poorly are these teams that just just don't take waffle. any action. That waffle exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's um, I I think that the. Uh... Oh shoot! What is it? the The lore master, lore master role is something that um, is underused or undervalued. Um, it, like there really is a leadership element to that. I I think that a decisive team is defined by a decisive leader, by a person that is willing to take charge and say, this is it. This is when we have talked enough. We have talked in circles. This isn't getting anywhere. Okay. I was not the lore master of that group. And I think that Tinika was a good leader. The problem problem with that is a decisive moment. Yes. The problem with the lore master though is, is a lore master. The the problem I have with it is it's sort of this out of game role. I mean, if you have a group of adventurers, there might be a natural leader, but you don't have this person that, you know, out of game has a responsibility, you know, and it, and I just, I, it always grates at me when, you know, the lore master has to make the decision rather than the natural leader of the team. And and... that's true. Um, and, and to completely, uh, dork out about this for a second, it wasn't true in the books. It <laughs> meant something to be a lore master. You're, you're right. Yes, absolutely. And, and that was a job that included a great deal of preparation for the game. It included a great deal of knowledge and practical experience and also an aspect of, um, curating, a, a curatorship of that group that doesn't exist in IFGS because we don't have the player base. You don't have hundreds of people clamoring to get onto your team, right, uh, partly because lurpers and... aren't actually celebrities. I think that's a big deal. Uh, thank you, Niven and Barnes, for that particular piece of wish fulfillment. That yeah. that was probably, to me, the most um, masturbatory <laughs> about those books was, was this nice, concept yes. of LARPers as um, as yes. combination gamers and movie stars yeah, selling yeah. the film rights to the games was um, was such a silly touch that was um, just pure wish fulfillment. They were hoping, and maybe we'll get there. I mean, I don't beautiful know. redheads sleeping with you because you're such a famous gamer because <laughs> they want on your team that badly. Um, so a couple things about. Uh... And that worked. She got on the team. It's true. Totally did. <laughs> um, so something I wanted to talk about was privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean one of the ways in which risk disappears in IFGS is when you know the right people. And and the reason that this galls me, and I, I mentioned this to Mike all the time, is I have this privilege, right? I know that if something goes terribly wrong, I have people who are in a position to write things, get things sanctioned, and get things produced mm-hmm. that will fix anything, right? Yes. Um, and, and I happen to be in the position where I can ask them not to. <laughs> um, but, but we have certainly seen examples of people who have used those kinds of resources to get out of even perma- you know, so on, permanent yes. death, right? But not everyone has those resources. Addy, you know, Kyle doesn't have the network that is going to save Addy from any situation. Do you think, do you think that if Kyle came to you and he was really upset that his character had died and he had seen so many other characters come back from the dead that you 
would straight up, ref- you would put your foot down and you would say, no, I will not bring that character back. Maybe. Um, but I am, I am certain that I wouldn't say absolutely yes. Sure. I, I just think, um, and I don't, obviously I don't write the games. I'm not the writer. I'm not the producer. And I've never had a character die, um, which makes sense given all of my level one characters. Um, oh, well, level two. Uh, I, I, I'm inclined to say uh, that the problem is less likely to be privilege than entitlement. I think that Kyle wouldn't ask. Right. I don't think that he would assume, and oh my God, does Kyle listen to this? We're really discussing him. He a does, actually, deal. I think. Okay, well, Kyle, you are a celebrity today. Um, I think that Kyle or um, or I or, for instance, um, other people I can think of who are newer to the game, perhaps, uh, Lisa is, I think, a good example. Any number of people wouldn't ask to have their character come back, would either not know that that was a possibility or an sure. option, because I didn't know until I heard about it happening. I was shocked um, that after the mass fatalities in Ultimate Price, which I treasured, um, that that permanent deaths were uh, pretty thin on the ground. There is some of um, I, I was surprised by that. I didn't know that that mechanic existed. And and I think that players who either haven't been around that long or don't have those connections would possibly not know that their character could come back or would not feel entitled to demand it. Sure, certainly. That, um, that is certainly true. I think part of it also... I, I would say that you guys and other writers would... I don't think that you guys are that biased. I don't think that you would do it for your friends and not do it for people who aren't your friends. And I don't think that you're so completely exceptional in the field of writers and producers that everybody would do it except you. No, no, I, not I think that people don't ask um, except for the people that feel the most entitled. But but I think there's a there's another question here, which which you might be missing, which is it doesn't necessarily happen because you ask. Did you just lisp a little there? I don't think so, but uh-huh. I, I, I suppose it's possible. Um, all I mean is if I saw Mike die, if I saw Owen, his character die in a way that I thought was ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? It would be less than, it would be before the end of the season before I would feel like I wanted to fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not him asking. I wouldn't even sure. give him a choice. He would be being wheeled around in a, in a, uh, a wheelbarrow set to face d- games against death and every, I mean, it, we saw it happened with Derek, right? Derek's yeah. character in ultimate price died. We thought maybe there was a bad call there and we had, really, we had, cause I thought he did something pretty, uh, pretty clear cut, ill-advised. The, he definitely did something ill-advised, but I, I think technically he was the thing that happened to him should not have happened. Uh, really? Yeah. We can argue about that later if you want. Um, Probably. I just need all the details. Um, but we immediately went to work coming up with a plot line that would fix it. He didn't ask for mm-hmm. it. He didn't expect it. He, he he didn't know about it until we told him, show up with this character ready to go. And he said, isn't that character dead? And we said, we don't care. Um, but that certainly wouldn't happen for a vast majority of people. You know, the peop- one of the people who got fixed from Ultimate Price, I don't think he asked for that game to happen. All that happened was he heard that other people from Dallas were getting fixed, and he said, if I come down, will you fix me too? 
that that is asking to get fixed. Well, it but is. He's, but, but he's not he's not going through the whole process of saying set something up to fix me. Sure. He's, he just has the network in place where he can get himself invited down to a Dallas game and hear about it, hear about a Dallas game and get things done. So all I'm saying is I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely a it's not entirely about what you can ask for or whether you will ask for it. There, mm-hmm. there are other factors and, there. And I'm not sure our risk system is really set up to handle this very well right now. I feel like our risk system is this linear system, 1 to 10, and different types of things can cause risk. But the, the types of risks that you're explaining, Dia, that, that you want to see are, are great. You know, sacrificing yourself for king and country or, or god or, or whatnot. Our risk system also allows for, oh, I just stepped on this trap because I forgot to look down for five seconds. And I feel like both the sanction committee and the writers and and maybe even our rule system, we need to look at our risk system a little bit if we do want to introduce more risk to introduce the right type of risks, the risks that are character defining and not stupid risks, at least. In, and that's in my, my opinion. I mean, I just I, I think that, you know, yeah, you forget to look at look down for five seconds. You step on this glyph and then your character is dead, dead, never to come back. I mean, that's but sort that of is what glyphs are. And that is what traps are. And I think that I always come um, before and first and last in every situation. I come from a place of immersion. And I want people to be as alert and attentive looking for traps and glyphs as constantly focused on what's happening everywhere around them as they would be if they lived in a world where they would actually die if they stepped on or touched or crossed or came within line of sight of something that could kill them. I totally agree as long as there's some sort of warning, but I have seen games where you're basically your character is <laughs> in a dungeon. Is that a warning? No, but even stuff where you're not even in a dungeon, it's not quite that. <laughs> Thank direct. you, William. I mean, yes, if you're in a dungeon, that's one thing. But but I've seen other games where it's more like you're just walking down the road, you know, and, and just like, you know, if I was walking down a, ro- a forest, you know, I would not expect, you know, a, a really powerful glyph to, to be on, on the road sort of in front of me because I'm walking on this trail. You know, well, and you wouldn't until you saw one of your friends die dead, dead, dead. <laughs> but I, I just think it doesn't happen very forever. often. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I I agree with you mostly about risk. I just do feel like our risk system is very, you know, binary. It's 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 all risky. You know, it's you know any type of risk is is very risky or or no type. And I want to see more risks that are character defining and and less risks and not none, but less risks yeah. that are stupid risks. And there, I mean, there's so much more to it than the players, right? I think that writers and producers would have to take it into account too. Sure. If if people can die, actually die, and then you set up actually fatal traps that are completely covered in pine needles, and who could possibly have seen that? Your players are gonna be pissed. But, but they this... are gonna holler. They're not gonna want to play your games. They're like you'll. Everyone will have to come to a fair risk balance. Everything will have to. As it should be now, be be labeled appropriately. But right now, people decide to go into a dungeon as lightly as they would decide to go on a picnic. And in real life, if you tell someone, we're going to war, would you like to be in the army? They first ask themselves, would How I far like is it to, to Canada? Die? <laughs> Am I going to get hurt? Is this going to have repercussions for me? What will this do to my life? Um, and and people should have to think. They should have to look at the risk of the game and say, do I want to risk this character's life that much? So I think there's two interesting issues that 
that come up from that. The first one is what I would call, I mean, is it snow vipers? Is that what it was? Yes. Snow vi- yes. Okay. And that is, it seems like it's sanctioning jobs. It's sanctioning's job to make sure that there are not, that there is some level of fairness, right? Sure. Yes. The level of fairness is something that we're going to have to debate hotly, right? Because that is exactly the, there are some people who think losing 10th level characters at all is unfair. I should be so good at everything that it can't happen. There are other, (laughs) and there are others of us who believe. And those people should play a game called hubris and they should all die (laughs) in fires. Very, very hot fires, which we'll just write a game to bring them back from. Um, but so so there is the snow viper issue, which I think can ameliorate a lot of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other issue is um, something very important that I no longer remember. Hmm. Okay, so so I have a question then. So let's let's talk about immersion for a second. You mentioned that immersion is really important to you. Where do you see IFGS failing on immersion, and and where do you see it succeeding, and, and what can we do better? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, all right, so production quality is really important to immersion. And I think that some of that is not writing games that take place in environments that you cannot simulate. Woohoo! I hate um, games in cities. <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot we don't bring myself have to believe in the a city. city. So unless you're ready to build a city, and if you are, I'm so excited to be part of your game. But if you're not, then there is no city. Yes. Or or find a location where you can have a city. I um I played a short-lived Colorado LARP called Core LARP that was run by a uh, very talented, very passionate man named Jim Galford. And he is a delight to all who know him. I really enjoyed him and his game. Uh, and he found this wonderful location. It was another Boy Scout camp up in the mountains. There were buildings. There, there were snowy paths. It was so real. Everyone had a room. You, you did have to sleep there overnight, and, and characters were setting up piles of stuff outside their room. They were so terrified that something might come in in the night, and they wouldn't hear it. Um, and, and that's immersion. That's what it's about. And and that means writing the game for the location you have or finding the location for the game that you've written and compromising as little as possible. Um, I also think that high quality props, um, great NPCs, and I know that this is just the thing that I say all the time and that it's unfair, uh, but high quality costuming. I think it's really important. I think that that um, and and I'm not even mentioning role playing because it it goes without saying. Uh, if if you don't have talented role players on your teams and on your NPC team, uh, why are you even here? <laughs> just just go play American Gladiators with your friends in the park. You can hit each other with whatever. It it seems you know? I I like a lot what you're saying. It seems like we definitely have some limitations that we're trying to to deal with some constraints. Location, like you mentioned, Absolutely. you know, it, it is hard to find locations. As a producer, I can tell you right now, I would love any help in oh, finding it's... locations. It is it is really hard. Um, it's tremendously difficult. That and the options here are so limited. I I wax eloquent about the locations that we played in in Georgia, but those locations were available, and there's nothing like that here. I've looked too. 
Yeah. There's nothing comparable to what we were playing with there. And we just keep here. losing places. Like we lost the Boy Scout camp, right? We lost right. the Heil Ranch. It's... Ah! We should, and we, we don't have the player base. The more players you have, the more you can afford. You can't rent out a whole Boy Scout camp if you've only got enough players to fill one cabin. You just can't. Yeah, totally. So um, we need to get on to the five questions here pretty pretty soon here. We're running a little over. But I want to ask you – I demand part two. Part two? <laughs> what do you mean part two? I mean I, I don't mind if we stop now and go on to the five questions, but I – I, I demand a part two. I think we, we're on to a lot of incredibly important issues here. I mean... I, I Are you saying there's overflow hate, Will? Is that what you're well, saying? I'm not, I'm not hearing a lot of hate, actually. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of sort of inspiration, a lot of wonder, a lot of um, sort of interest and passion. We haven't actually hit a lot of hate yet. Um, I guess I'm saying it all very nicely. but You are. Uh, but what I what I mean right now is that the players should die all the time. Right. I actively conspire against their characters, and I'm angry when that doesn't work out for me because I want to see grisly, bloody, permanent deaths. And then I yes. want bards to sing beautiful songs about them. But first, I want death for all of you forever. Perfect. Everybody um, should have at least one dead it, character that they talk about. I agree. I, that is a fantastic goal. But my point is, things I want to ask about, things I want to talk about are... <laughs> Um, how do you encourage good role playing? How do you encourage good costumes and props? Um, you know, how, you know, how do you feel about, you know, things like divination spells and how do we both include them in the game and not have them ruin every goddamn plot we write? Um, so I feel like we need a part two here. Okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll get to a part two. I, I do want to ask though, if, if you were, if you could like, if there, you could rebuild the IFGS rules, like the in-game stuff, like what's the one thing right now that you would be like? And we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a little bit later, but but what would you want to really change if you could take one thing about IFGS and say I'm gonna change this one thing? What would it be? Oh my god, I really have to pick one thing. Well, just for now. Oh. What's, okay. the, what's top of your 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 mind? Uh, for immersion's sake. I think the one thing that is just so completely ridiculously bullshit that I can't even handle it is the absence of live fire. Either you have live fire weapons or you don't have rangers. This pointing at people and telling them where you shot them is such outrageous bullshit that I can't, oh I can't even handle it. It makes me want to do murders. I would I not have can't. guessed that in a million years. That's not that's what I would have guessed either. We've had this it conversation. It makes me so angry. That <laughs> okay. is fascinating. I loathe it. So huh. we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to come back with the five questions. And okay. I've written down some of the things that Will wants to talk about next time. We will definitely have you on for a part two to continue on with this. But uh, let's uh, take a little break, and we'll be back in a sec. Cool. Okay, we're back with the five questions, and we have got Dia Campbell here. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, we, it's good okay, that we so, mentioned that Dia Campbell's here since, for those people who are listening, it's been almost five <laughs> seconds since we started our break. But they had this nice little musical interlude that could have been taken away to another place, hopefully. I understand. Listening in... to, again, listening to Michael Kelly's Island. So I am dying to know, if we do a part two, do I still have to answer the five questions? Do I get five fresh questions that nobody's ever gotten? No, I think you get the what same happens? questions, but we require you to give different answers. Uh, that sounds awful. <laughs> So I'm going to start out with the first question. What is the best class? 
Ooh, I'm going to give you um, a dumb answer so that I can save a good one for next time. Nice. <laughs> um, Game the I, system. I have played so few of the classes, um, but I'm going to fall back on kind of a guess uh, based actually on my preferences in um, RPG video games. I love monks. Um, I'm not interested really in playing one at IFGS because I'm not interested in role-playing a monk, and that's kind of my priority. But just as a combat class, as a player class, I love them. Monks, monks. are monks are the worst class. That is they totally incorrect. They are. Um, knight is in fact the correct answer to that question. So. Oh, knights are stupid. Um, they Especially are stu when there's like knights and paladins and clerics. Like, what are you even doing? I just... understand. That, I'm not saying they're not stupid. I'm saying they're the best class. It, oh, for like. It combat effect. No, just for everything. Oh, I see. Right. You're classist. And and oh, I'm definitely classist. <laughs> and they are the only class in IFGS that has role playing built in. Hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, with the knightly codes. Exactly. Yeah. I do like knightly codes. Like at as an NPC, the ability to exploit someone's knightly codes is like the most satisfying thing I can have. I know. Not it that feels anyone so good. Remembers them. All right. So, what was your? No, so it happened once. It was extraordinary. I was so happy. That's fantastic. We'll okay, ask you all about that in part two. Write it down, Mike. Okay. What was your favorite game? Oh, that's um, that's so hard. It's um, it's I think it's got to be Ultimate Price. It that was amazing. That was such an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, I I had such fun roles, just like top to bottom. From from silly little hostage to sacrifice to demon goddess of everyone's dead is that half of a person seriously? <laughs> um, that I mean for me that was I I don't know how anybody else had any fun because none of them got to do what I was doing. Oh no, I I got to have a whole oh. fight with with no weapons and destroy teams. I had so much fun. That 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 was my favorite fight, and I, you know, that I've ever done in IFGS probably was that one. Mm -hmm. So and I got to, and I got to play Argast all day and walk around with uh, with um, what the hell is Jeff's demon's name? Oh, uh, Shax. Shoot. Shax. Shax. Right. Yeah. That's right, Stacks from Shax. That's right. Uh, yeah, I got to meet those guys from Dallas. That was a very different team than uh, than any I have met at uh, Denver Boulder. So that was really fun. If your favorite character had to die, how would you want him or her to go out? Um, oh, I don't really have a favorite character right now, um, as I have so few characters. But um, I I would like a, a less heroic death. I, I would like something um, kind of awful or unconventional. I, I would like perhaps a... Um, a, a crime so horrific that there was simply nothing for it but execution. <laughs> That's nice. I like that a lot. So I, I, I would like something that could go down in legend without being uh, in, in any way conventional or heroic. I would like footsteps that it would be difficult to follow in. Right. So what is the one thing you wish you could change about IFGS? And this time, not just in-game stuff, but also talking about out-of-game, bureaucracy, organization, rules. What's one thing? More players. And I mean, that's why, I'm, awesome. uh, why yep. I took PR chair. I think it's the, the single 
greatest thing that could happen to IFGS. With more players comes more NPCs, richer games, greater varieties of PCs, fresh blood, new ideas, new writers, uh, more better financial situation, which allows for perhaps better locations and higher production games. Everything gets better when more people are playing. So as PR chair, I should let you know that the single biggest factor in um, IFGS population is my involvement. <laughs> Every time... So we, sh we, need to, we need to fire you if exactly. we people. If you, if you look at the population charts, every time there's a huge boom, and, mm -hmm. then, and then it basically drops off and I start playing. And then I take a break, there's a boom, I start playing, population boom is done. What if we just don't tell them about you? I'm not really prepared to lose your writing and production talent, <laughs> but like maybe a silent partner maybe. or we could change your name there or you something. Go. Yeah. We just need to start doing overnight games because as soon as we go to two, two day games for everything, Will doesn't, I'm Will out, can't show yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I know that there's nothing more important than a larger player base. I think anybody that says there's anything else that needs to change about IFGS to make it better is full of shit. Well, um, I might I argue. I might argue that we don't need a larger player base. Most of our players are already pretty large. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> I think you guys are all beautiful. Aww. Not you guys. The other people. I understand. You guys are very medium looking. That's it. Cut her feed. <laughs> <laughs> Done. If you could get one person, fictional or real, to play on your team, who would it be, and why? I want Niven. All right. I, I met him. I met him this year at Dragon Con. I um I took my copy of Dream Park and uh, and a couple of other uh, choice books and asked him to sign them. And I actually um I actually lost my uh, my sense of self possession and also of dignity and crying. Oh my and god! He like he's such a he's you know an older man and um. And I think maybe his hearing's not amazing, and he didn't—he didn't know what had happened. He didn't know what he'd done, <laughs> and he didn't know why this woman was crying at him. And he was so—I honestly think he was looking around for security. Well, I've—I've I've heard he's pretty iffy on public relations. That—that's um, what I read. He—I mean, he was very nice. He, you know, there was a line of people, and everybody walked up, and he signed the things, and he asked you what your name was, and. Um, and I don't know why I couldn't handle that, uh, <laughs> given I, that it was all quite businesslike. If it helps at all, I can't, I can't even tell you how much respect I've lost for you. Oh yeah, I know it was, I, oh, I was humiliated. I was so embarrassed oh my goodness. Um, that, that I had done that. And, uh, that, that's just how I get sometimes when I'm very excited or very embarrassed or any combination of the two. But, um, but the person who envisioned LARP with that kind of passion and totally. it's so unfair that I give all the credit for these books to Larry Niven. Um, I, like, I don't know how writing went with he and Stephen Barnes. I, I want them both on my team. I want the people who had such a vision for LARP, such a overarching and, um, and at times absolutely ludicrous and, uh, and just tremendously pandering vision for LARP. I, I would, I would like to see them participate in it. Sure. I, I would like to be there for, and, and knowing that at least one of them has been on a LARP team just makes it, there's nothing like an achievable dream, right? So I have, I have heard a rumor and if this ever gets out, I, I think this actually opens the show up to lawsuits. Um, 
I've actually heard a rumor that the last book, the fourth one, was mostly Stephen Barnes, um, and that Larry Niven actually had very little to do with it. I have to say that given that I, I read other uh, non-Dream uh, non Park Niven books, the Dream Park books are so different, they read so differently that I... <laughs> If I had to be perfectly honest with myself, I, I would say that I thought there was more of Stephen Barnes in all of them. Right. Just because um, I, I can't say that there's anything about Dream Park that feels to me like a huge um, stylistic overlap with uh, with with Ringworld. Ringworld, yeah. Um, that they're tremendously different. Sure. And so that. Oh, God. can I put Jim Butcher on my team, too? I forgot that he plays IFGS and is also an extraordinary uh, writer of fiction. Well, he doesn't play IFGS anymore. He I just, used to play IFGS. Whatever. It's and the I, same thing. If you've ever played, then you're a player. It's it's like it's like smoking. You've, you've never really quit. Right. So if, if you get time, you should definitely go back and actually listen to the podcast that has Jim Butcher on it. Oh, you guys got to talk to Jim Butcher. We did. We did for like an hour jerks about ifgs and and i just i think that people who um who write fantasy and and who who write fiction have uh have have this tremendous capacity for imagination and so i imagine them to be really extraordinary role role players and and capable of a personal immersion that um perhaps we civilians can only aspire to interesting well, there's some great answers, and I'm really looking forward to part two. I think we're going to have some, some fascinating uh, points of discussion. Uh, and, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and spending an hour with us. Hey, no problem. Thank you, guys. It was uh, it was weird and fun. Was it, was it – were you – you were sort of nervous, it seemed like, coming on. Were you sort of, like, worried what we were going to ask you? Um, no. I – absolutely detest the sound of my own voice oh, right. um and and that never stops making me uncomfortable i i feel I the same probably way. not be able to listen to this i have to go back and, and edit all these so i have to listen to myself and oh. i get incredibly nervous listening to myself so the good thing is an editor you can take out the really bad parts in fact i used yeah. to do that for like the first 10 episodes well we'll we'll edit the first few and then i went through and started editing and I, for a while there i was just neurotic about just every little like pause or um or anything like that, I would just cut it out. And then I decided I was way too lazy to do that. Uh, so now I, I rarely edit much out of these. But Yeah, I guess there's a part of me that's like slightly worried that people are going to be like, why do you think I should die? Why do you think that my character's dumb? Why do you think that my ranger's illegitimate? But um, no, I, I'm actually not worried about that at all. Pretty much it's you, or sorry, Jeff Lotz, Brandon, Kyle, sometimes my wife. That's pretty much our listening audience. So I don't, I don't think you have much to be worried about. Yeah, and these are nice people who deserve to know who I really am anyways. Exactly. <laughs> anyways, well, thank you very much and uh, have a good night. And Will, do you have anything else to finish up with? I sure don't. Okay, great. Well, uh, right. we will be back soon with another episode of the Battle College Podcast. And remember, fighters fight. Fighters fight. fight.